having two readings today from Matthew's Gospel, and you can find the first of these on page 970 in the Church Bibles. So Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, the first reading is starting at verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The second reading is chapter 7, starting at verse 7, just over the page. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Thanks be to God for his word. Okay, so... Uh, my name is Richard Proctor, for those of you who don't know me. I was here last week, and last week we were thinking um, about the Heidelberg Catechism, so if you missed it, what a shame. Um, you'll be pleased to know it was recorded, it is available on the website. What did we do last week? Well, we looked at the very beginning questions of the Heidelberg Catechism, having thought a little bit about what a catechism was. And the beginning question says, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that you're not your own, but you belong body and soul in life and death to your faithful saviour, Jesus Christ. And we thought about that last week, and we thought about why it might be a good thing to belong to someone else rather than a bad thing. This week, we're going to look at two more questions from the Catechism, but we're going to look at questions that come kind of right at the end of the Catechism instead. And we're going to be thinking about this question. Um, What is God like? Why don't I pray for us? Um, as we see what the Bible and the Catechism can tell us today about what God is like. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray that today, as we uh, think about your words and you speak to us through it, that you would show us something true about who you are. Amen. Okay, so we're right at the end of the Heidelberg Catechism. The Catechism is split into three sections. The first section talks about the bad news, so the problem of our sin. The second section talks about how we can be rescued from sin. And the third section talks about how we can live in response to God's rescue of us. 
And at the end of that third section, the Catechism looks at the Lord's Prayer, which is why we had um, the Lord's Prayer in our reading. Um, And the two questions we're going to have a look at are these two questions. They both are questions related to the Lord's Prayer. So the first one is this. Why did Christ command us to call God our Father? And the second question, what does that little word, Amen, express? Now you may at this point be thinking, we just had the Lord's Prayer read and it didn't have the word Amen in it, did it? So just have a look down at your Bibles for a second. So Matthew chapter 6, which is where the Lord's Prayer is recorded, at the end of verse 13, there's a little footnote. Can you see that footnote? It says, there are manuscripts that also have the line, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. And I reckon most of us know the Lord's Prayer, including that line, including the amen at the end. That was the way that the Lord's Prayer was known for hundreds of years, and it's the way that the Catechism includes um, the Lord's Prayer in that form. So in the Catechism, it goes through the prayer line by line and includes getting to Amen at the end. So the very last question in the Catechism is, well, what does Amen mean? So we're going to do that question, and we're going to do the one that looks at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer as well. So... uh, The passage, I think, and the catechism have highlighted the fact that Jesus tells his disciples to pray, Our Father. And the question, therefore, is, well, why? Why do we pray Our Father? As we did last week, the catechism is meant to be something that teaches us stuff. It's something for learning. So there's an answer. This is the answer. We're going to do this the same as we did. It's quite full, isn't it? I hope you can read that. We're going to do this uh, same as we did last week. I'm going to read the question. We're all going to read the answer together. Okay? So the question is, why did Christ command us to call God our Father? And the answer? To awaken in us, at the very beginning of our prayer, what should be basic to our prayer, a childlike reverence and trust that through Christ, God has become our Father. And that just as our parents do not refuse us the things of this life, even less will God, our Father, refuse to give us what we ask in faith. Okay. Now I'm conscious that when we talk about God as Father, actually that can be quite difficult for us. For many of us, our experiences of Father are really, really mixed. Some people here may be they were blessed with a good father. You know, they look at the idea of their fathers and they think, yeah, I loved my father, everything was good. Some of us, our father was absent. We don't, don't know father. Some of us, maybe our father was abusive. And so there was this whole spectrum in between of just difficult relationships with fathers. And that personal experience, when we come to think of God as father, presents challenges for us when we have to call God Father. What's that about? And actually, I think the culture we live in doesn't really help with this at all. So we were chatting at home the other day about how Disney films portray fathers, particularly thinking about the kind of animated ones. They're, They're either usually absent or ineffective. The children's one example of a good father was Mufasa, and Mufasa gets killed pretty close to the beginning of the film. And it's not just Disney films, is it? Actually, if you think about TV programmes and films generally, dads just don't come off very well. 
I mean, maybe it makes it a more exciting film, but, but there aren't, you know, we don't get a positive view of fatherhood from our culture. And many of us have a personal experience of fathers which really doesn't help at all. So what then happens when we come to the Bible and the language about God that says God is father? What, what do we do with all of these problems and emotions that we have? Well, one option is to abandon the language of father altogether. And you might come across some feminist theologians who would say that's exactly what we should do. We should just stop calling God father. But what I want to convince you about today is that actually the fact that God is father is a really, really important part of that answer to that question that we're looking at, what is God like? And so we mustn't abandon it, but we do kind of need to redeem it. We need to understand what it means for God to be father. So what do I mean by God being father? Well, God is father because he is father of the son. Yeah? So this is God's fatherhood in eternity. There is no time ever where God wasn't father. God has always been the father of the son. So he didn't need to create a world and people to be father of those, to become a father. He was always father. Do you remember in the creed, you might say that the son is eternally begotten of the father? God is always the father of the son. And God is a father who always loves his son. And one way that we see the overflowing love of the father to the son is in creation. Creation is a gift of the father to the son. You've been doing Ephesians, haven't you? What does it say God's plan was? It was to bring all things together under one head, even Christ. All things, all of creation is the father's gift to the son. So the father loves the son and he generously gives to the son. So we then can learn how a father should be by looking at God the father. When your father was loving and generous, he was behaving as a father because he was reflecting what the father does. When your father wasn't behaving in a loving and generous way, they were not reflecting the father heart of God. We need to start with God and his fatherhood to understand what father is. And so the catechism says we call God our father at the beginning of prayers so that we're clear who it is that we're praying to. We're praying to this father. We're not, therefore, praying to some philosophical concept of God some universal supreme spirit. That's not who we pray to. We're not praying to some distant, kind of uninterested God. We're not praying to kind of one God out of many. We're not, we're not praying to Allah. I mean, Allah, in, you could just translate as God, yeah? That's, if you translated Allah into English, you'd use the word God. But if you asked a Muslim who Allah is, would he say he's the father of the son? No. We're praying to the Father of the Son. That's who we're praying to. The loving, generous Father. That's the Father we're praying to. And the Catechism tells us that through Christ, that him, that Father, has become our Father too. You see, this is what becoming a Christian really is all about. Becoming a Christian is 
belonging to Christ and being invited into the love relationship that exists between the Father and the Son. So in all eternity, the Father and the Son are loving one another. And as a, when you become a Christian, you're invited into that love relationship to join in. And so we say, our Father, at the beginning of our prayers, to remind us that it's this God that we pray to. And, the Catechism says, that he delights in giving good gifts to us. I wonder again, is that what you thought when you thought, what is good like, God like? I bet you've heard people think, tell us that God is a spoil sport. Yeah, that he wants to stop fun. I'm sure you've heard people say this. Richard Dawkins, God is a bully in the sky. That's what he says. Is that who God is? Not at all. Let's look at our Bible passage. There's quite a few things this says about the kind of father we have. And we're just going to run through them and see what it says. So, verse 6 says, this is chapter 6, verse 6. It says that our father uh, sees what is done and rewards So he's a God who sees and rewards. Verse 8 says he knows what we need before we ask him. Verse 14 says he forgives our sin. Verse 26, which we didn't read because otherwise it would have been much too long a passage. Uh, Verse 26 says he looks after the birds and yet we are much more valuable than the birds. Verse 32 says, he knows you need food and drink and clothing, these physical things of life. He knows we need this stuff. And verse 11 of chapter 7 says, he gives good gifts to those who ask him. See, God isn't a spoil sport. He's not a reluctant giver. Do you see how this works in the passage? It says that Parents generally can look after their children and give them good stuff. And I guess, yes, we have recognised that we all know of times when that hasn't happened and parents have not looked after their children, but generally it's true that parents look after their kids and give them good stuff. Even, Jesus says, though we're evil, we can manage to give good gifts to our kids. And so God, who is this good loving, generous father, well, he's going to be so much better at giving good gifts to us. Because he doesn't have to deal with all the problems of being evil. He's a good, generous God. The catechism says the same thing. It kind of puts it in the other way around. It says, well, look, if we as parents don't refuse to give our kids stuff, even less is God going to refuse to give us. So God is... Not a reluctant giver. God is this father who is overflowing life and love. He is a a good, good father, as one of the songs says. And so we can trust him as we come to pray. It's what the Catechism says, isn't it? That right at the beginning of our prayer, we call God our father to awaken in us this sense of trust in him. He is a loving father who delights in giving good gifts to his children. What is God like? Well, that's what he's like. He is father. But a better father than we can really imagine. We need to kind of stretch our brains and think, ah, this is the kind of father that he is. 
Then the question says, well, okay, what about that little word, Amen, then? So if we start a prayer by praying to our Father, why do we end a prayer by saying Amen? You can look up what the word Amen means online. I've done it for you. It's not very exciting. So the Cambridge Dictionary Online says, Amen expresses agreement with what has been said. I think, well, okay, but, you know, if I say something and you say amen, I guess that's you agreeing with it. If I say something and then say amen, I'm agreeing with what I've said. That doesn't, surely that's not quite right for amen, is it? Okay, Merriam-Webster says amen is used to express solemn ratification as of an expression of faith. I'm not sure quite know what that means, but I think it basically means agreement again. Uh, the Collins Online and the Oxford English Dictionary Online both translate Amen into so be it. And they say it means so be it at the end of a prayer. So I guess that's kind of agreeing again, isn't it? But maybe with some kind of confidence that it might happen as well. So a bit more than just an agreement. What does the catechism tell us it means? I much prefer the catechism's explanation of this. So here we go. Let's do this together. Uh, what does that little word, Amen, express? Let's read together the answer. It says this. Amen means, this shall truly and surely be. It is even more sure that God listens to my prayer than that I really desire what I pray for. Now, I think this is such an encouragement. Think of all those times when we've been praying and I'm, I'm going to tell this happens to me. I'm sure this happens to you as well. When actually you've just been distracted. Your mind has drifted and you are really a bit too tired to pay attention to what you were saying. What the catechism here says is that God wasn't distracted. He was listening. Even when your prayer was a bit half-hearted, God was paying attention. When you were sat in a group with other people praying and you did start to listen to what they prayed but then partway through you were thinking about what you're going to have for dinner and those jobs that you hadn't quite finished at work and then you noticed they were getting to the end of the prayer and so you said amen with the rest of them God was listening to the prayer because we can be even more sure that he's listening than we even desire what we pray for so I think that's really encouraging but even more than that what this says is that even at those times when you think you did the best kind of prayer, when you really felt it, it wasn't a prayers hitting the ceiling day, it was a really feeling the prayer day. You were praying something that you were confident was in line with God's will. You felt that it was heard. You know, you were there. You were on fire in your prayer. You really wanted it. It's still true that God wanted to give you good gifts more than you wanted the good gifts. What this is saying is that God is more invested in your prayers than you are. That God is more for you than you are for you. Sometimes uh, we hear people talk about God. I don't think they do this deliberately. But they talk about God as if Jesus is this the kind one. And God the Father is somehow this kind of distant, judgment-obsessed, holy, stern one. Have you, have you heard people talk about that? I don't think they do it deliberately, but it kind of comes out in that way. That is nonsense, okay? The Father 
who eternally loves his son and gives good, gives good gifts to his son, doesn't look at his son as we join in with his son and go, what are you doing with that rabble? That's not how it works. Romans 8, verse 32, do you know that verse? It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God the Father is for us. Our desires, they fluctuate, don't they? Our commitment to him fluctuates. Our concentration on our prayers, our ability to fulfill the things that we've said we're going to do, they wax and they wane. God is steadfast, consistent, trustworthy and true in his commitment to us. Is that your view of God? That God was a father full of overflowing life and love who generously gives good gifts to his children? Is that your view of God? If you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, not a follower of Jesus, did you understand that this was the God that we worship? That actually God invites you to participate in that love, that eternal love that's between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? If you want to know more about that, come and ask me about that afterwards. Or ask one of the leaders of the church, or even the person who invited you along today. Find out more about this loving, gracious God. But what about those of us who would call ourselves Christians? I reckon we all harbour misgivings about God. I reckon there are times we all doubt that he really is good and steadfast and faithful and true and a loving father. I know I sometimes do, and I reckon you do too. But there is no need to. There is no need to do that. What we need to do is see God for who he is. Be confident that he is a loving father who delights in giving good gifts to his children. And really, that's the thing I want to convince you of today. That what is God like? The answer is God is father. But that means that he is overflowing life and he is love and he gives good gifts and he is steadfast and he is faithful and he is true. That's what it means. And through Jesus, he's our father in all those ways. So we can have great confidence when we approach him because he is our father. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. John writes this, he writes, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Heavenly Father, it is such a privilege that we get to call you Father. That through Jesus, you are our Father. Would you forgive us for when we think you're the bad guy and we don't recognise your overflowing love for us would you heal our broken understanding of who you are would you heal the broken relationships we have because of our earthly fathers would you help us to forgive them and please fill us with a true knowledge of you as our heavenly father amen